how do we create more sustainable people, businesses, and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the Podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. In episode 116, I spoke to Julia Felton from Business Horsepower about what we can learn from horses that can improve our leadership and performance in the workplace and create systemic change. Today, I'm speaking to Eric Breimer. Eric Breimer is an academic and life coach specialising in understanding and developing high performance skills and wellbeing outcomes. As a researcher, he focuses on investigating extreme sport and the role of the environment for well-being. Eric's expertise includes qualitative and mixed methods research designs. He holds a PhD, a master's degree in applied sport and exercise psychology, and postgraduate degrees in education and business. He also holds research positions at Leeds Beckett's University, in the UK, Queensland University of Technology Australia and the University of Cumbria in the UK as well. Welcome Eric, it's great to have you on Sustainable today. Thank you very much for having me, it's, um, it'll be, it's a pleasure and we'll, we'll um, have a, a fun time over the next hour discussing um, all the uh, issues you'd like to think, you'd like to think and talk about. Yeah, so then how can we develop a relationship with the natural world through extreme sports? So, um, I suppose a place to start on that one would be to understand what we mean by extreme sports. Um, yes. And uh, when we talk about extreme sports, what we're talking about is nature-based adventure sports, but the but taking the adventure sports to a limit where um, if you mess up, there's a likelihood that you will, in fact, more of a likelihood that you will die than anything else. So, we're talking about uh, proximity flying, base jumping, big wave surfing, um, kayaking over giant waterfalls, that kind of activity. Okay. Um, so, so we're, when we're not, we're not talking about the reason why that's important is because a, most of these activities are done in the natural environment and b, these activities are done to a level where, um, a mistake or, uh, or accident is, you know, most likely going to lead to death rather than scratches or bumps or bruises. So what that then suggests is that um, the activities themselves uh, are, are quite dangerous. Um, the typical notion here, therefore, is they're about risk and risk taking because uh, people often see them um, with regard to the individuals undertaking these activities, as opposed to the holistic perspective of where these activities are um, undertaken and um, what needs to happen to make sure that um, that people participate and continue to participate and, and get the benefits from it. So if we think about extreme sports uh, undertaken within a natural environment, one of the most important things um, to, that an athlete needs to do in order to, to participate effectively and to come out having had all the wonderful aspects of that experience and uh, not the downside is to really understand the environment that they're in. Um, their life depends on how effectively they understand, how effectively they are tuned to information within that environment. If they misread something, that misreading could mean, um, you know, death. It's, it could be disastrous for them. 
So if you're looking at participating at a level where death is a possibility in and where, in, where the relationship with the activity is with the environment that you're working in, then clearly the knowledge you get, the profound depth of knowledge that you need to develop um, uh, is, is how people become um, uh, part of the environment. And in fact, when, you, when we look at the, the when we, when we uh, try to understand people's experiences and we look at the research that's been done over the years, not just mine, but from other people too, that in-depth, profound relationship with the natural world is a very, very important aspect of effective participation. The ability to know that, you know, wind is slightly in the wrong direction or the ability to read a waterfall to know the ideal place to, um, to topple over it, if you like. The ability to read a wave to know when to ride it, when not to ride it, um, where to get on it, which bits are going to smash you to bits and which bits are going to be, uh, provide you with that sort of, um, uh, the, the enjoyment, the experiences that, that come with it. So, so that essentially is how that relationship with the natural world is developed. Now, it's extreme sports are not things that when you look at it at this level, they're not things that people go into having done nothing. Um, if you want to be a base jumper, then there is a, a vast amount of, uh, of time spent in learning how to use parachutes. You perhaps have done, um, X amount of skydives. Um, well, you will have done X amount of skydives. You've found a, a mentor to help you with base jumping. You've, you've gone all, you've gone through a, a quite an extensive process of developing the task skills as well as the appreciation and understanding to become attuned to information in the environment. So it is a process you go through. It's not people are suddenly, um, you know, some people haven't, some people don't. And, and so it is something you develop in the process of developing your um, skills, your interest, um, the capacity to undertake the extreme sports in a safe and uh, effective manner. Yeah, now that's really, really fascinating because, I mean, if I just recap what you said there, um, we've got this, and it, it's funny because until you said this, I hadn't actually considered that it, it kind of really is almost like a pre prevalent thought. We've almost got this attitude that extreme sports is all about risk and risk taking. But when we take that step back, what extreme sports is when we're engaging in sports that have this potential to um, end up in death if things go wrong. There's a huge amount of discipline and learning involved in mastering not only just the, the skills that an individual needs in order to successfully engage with the natural world in which they're undertaking the activities, but they also actually have to develop this deep relationship with the natural world where they're able to understand and read the signs and signals of the natural world to be able to engage with it in an effective and safe manner. Yeah, that's, um, that's a nice summary. Uh, it's, there are three particular traditional notions of extreme sports. One is this, well, it's all about a particular personality structure that means that, A, you are born with the need to take risks, um, which so then transfers into the reason why people decide to do extreme sports is because they have this personality. The reason why people can do it well is because they have this personality. The second one is that it must be to do with some kind of inappropriate relationship to death, i.e. Um, people are undertaking these things because of a death wish type of idea. Um, and the third one is um, people who undertake extreme sports 
clearly don't have any fear. Well, we know from research that's a little rubbish, to tell you quite frankly. Um, most athletes will tell you fear is absolutely essential to the sport. If you don't have fear, then there's a really good chance you're not going to take what you do seriously or seriously enough. So fear is telling you, I need to take this really, really seriously. I need to make sure that I'm really effectively prepared, that I've done everything I possibly can to understand my own capabilities, psychologically, physically, etc., to understand the environment, to understand the activity, whether that be surfing or uh, base jumping, or whatever it might be, to such an extent that I can control pretty well everything within that with the realization that you can't control everything. But you've got that knowledge to know that, um, uh, or you've developed that knowledge to know what, whether or not at that moment in time, a base jump or you jumping off that cliff is the right thing to do. And the capacity as an individual to say, you know what, there might have been 20 other people who have gone before me. I might have spent half a day climbing up this cliff. I might have spent the last five weeks uh, preparing for it and all those sort of things. But right now, I don't feel right. Something's not right. I'm walking back down. So it's quite a profound depth of uh, knowledge that one has to build within the environment, activity, and uh, of your own uh, capacities. So, that, so the, and the idea of fear is something that sort of gives you the impetus or tells you you need to take this seriously. So fear is something that's really important. The risk-taking aspect of things um, and as in the, the way that people often speak about it, the hedonistic, this is fun, let's just give it a go notion. Nothing could be further from the truth. The amount of preparation and effort that people um, who undertake extreme sports put in to ensure they can do that effectively, that in itself takes it away from, from the notion of risk. This isn't something that people wake up one morning and say, oh, let's give it a go. There's enormous amount of effort that goes into that. And, um, and the death wish, I mean, there's more to do with the risk as well, but we won't go into that right now. The death wish notion um, is also something else. In fact, if you talk to participants, most of them will say, no, no, it's, it's anything but a death wish. It's a life wish. Because by doing this, we can tap into aspects or capabilities that we, we, we can't get another way. You know, people talk about time slowing down or standing still. People talk about the capacity to see and hear and feel things way beyond that you can do in everyday life. Uh, people talk about a level of freedom that that the only other um, the only other sort of experience that people have something similar to is when they're really skillful meditators or users of mindfulness activities. So these are really profound activities that people, um, that, that, you know, and, and the highly trained athletes um, undertake. It's not it's not something that people take lightly at all. Yeah. Now, I mean, what I'm, I'm, I'm really hearing, there's, there, there was two things that really caught my interest there, Eric. And one of the things is having, because of the fear, you have to take it seriously in the amount of control. It really allows people to end up developing almost heightened levels of intuition. And also what you're talking about in terms of these experiences that you can relate to to, to meditators um, with the, the time slowing down and the, the increased clarity of detail. I mean, it, it sounds very similar to, to what Maslow described as peak experiences, those moments of complete unity with the environment around you. Yes, and, and, and uh, a lot of it is very, very similar. The, the difference with extreme sports and Maslow's theoretical framework, Maslow's theoretical framework with peak experiences and plateau experience and all those other things, were very much 
relatively rare things have come along, you know, almost um, jump at, jump at you when you when you don't expect them. With extreme sports athletes, um, the activity itself will facilitate these experiences pretty well every time. So you have something that looks like a peak experience, but isn't quite a peak experience because of the capacity to facilitate it at will, if you like. Um, and also because there are other things that are around it that are, that don't quite match, but the same with flow and the same with some of the other things that, um, people have, uh, have bought up. So they're, they're relatively, um, they're relatively specialized or the lived experience itself is, is similar to so many other things that people talk about when we talk about the, the capabilities and the capacities or human potential type of research. But um, if you put them all together, you've got, well, actually, that looks very similar to extreme sports. If you take one at a time, you say, well, that's a lot of it, but they've missed that. That's a lot of it, but they've missed that. That's a lot of it. And then you sort of start bringing them all together. So you've got the transcendental, the transformational aspects of it, the peak experiences of it, the flow aspects. It will put all those kind of notions together. And you've got something that you can say, well, wow, isn't that interesting? We've got all these different ways of looking at ultimate human experience, um, human beings reaching their potential. And here's an activity that allows you to tap into all these theoretical frameworks. In fact, brings all these theoretical frameworks together in one place. Mm. Does that make sense? That, 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 that does make sense. And I just want to make sure that I've understood it um, correctly, because um, there's a lot of information coming through, and I'm thinking of the listeners as well, that fundamentally there's so many different um, theoretical frameworks, as you said, that are out there, that if we're interested in achieving our full potential, that we, we come across, whether it's the, the transcendental for meditation or peak experiences, or even how do you get into a state of flow, and all of these ideas. And what you're fundamentally saying is that when you actually put them all together and simplify them down, extreme sports as far as we know through the research that we've done today extreme sports is the only place where we can actually consistently with every time that we engage in the experience create these experiences on demand yeah that's basically it i mean you know it's i i use the word every time but there are obviously times when things don't quite go to plan because you put everything in place and 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 things haven't quite turned out the way it does so it probably isn't every time, but it's a majority of times uh, for people. And for some people, it is every time. Um, and for most people, if it's if there's one or once or twice where it hasn't gone quite to plan, they learn very quickly. Um, otherwise, the the option is well, if you don't learn from that little thing that didn't go quite to plan, then the next time, um, you know, it's going to be more serious. Yeah. So then. So, so very consistently. Very consistently. Awesome. So then, why would you say that it would? be essential for leaders who are wanting to achieve sustainable success, tap into their full potential in their lives and in their businesses, to develop their relationship with the natural world in this way? Okay, well, there's two things here, um, which I think are really interesting concepts. And I'll start, respond before I respond to this properly, I'll start by saying that this is an area that I think is really, really interesting to explore. We haven't we started it, but we haven't really sort of got our finger on the pulse of, um, uh, 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 you know, to respond to this effectively. But essentially, there are two things to think about. One is the old notion, which is the risk-taking notion, that in fact, in order to undertake an extreme sports at this level, um, you've got to have a particular kind of personality. And it's only those with pers- that particular kind of personality um, that are going to be wanted to do it and that will be effective in it. What we know is that extreme sports are open for everyone. 
So that's the first thing to think. There is no particular personality. Research, research is quite clear on that now. There is too much variety in personality research within the extreme sports. You know, those who are interested in personality in extreme sports, um, for us to say, well, there's, a, there's, a, you know, I can put my finger on the personality type. Um, so we know that it's open for everybody. The second one is because it's open for everybody, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to go to the level of base jumping and big wave surfing and so forth. Because as I've just mentioned earlier on, to do it at that level, the commitment is immense. So if you are wanting to participate at a proximity flying level or at a, uh, you know, a, a big wave surfing level or kayak over big waterfalls, the chances are most of your focus is going to be developing, it's going to be on developing the skills and the knowledge that we've been talking about already about yourself, environment and task to be able to do it at that, that level. So um, we're not suggesting at all that people in other areas need to go out and become a base jumper. However, the notion of being adventurous in the natural world, whilst you may not get the the, the, the precise or the, prof the profoundness, if there is such a word, of the experience that you might get in an extreme sport context, by being adventurous in the natural world, you need to be attuned to information at the level that you are working at. Um, and as a result of that, you are going to be um, better able to interact with that natural world. Now, the benefit of doing that is that attunement is a developmental process. It brings more skills. It, um, it enhances your capacity to see things in the environment, to appreciate things in the environment, to understand things in the environment, and to realize that a reciprocal relationship between human beings and our environment. In the end, we are part of the environment. But that relationship is enhanced by being adventurous in a natural environment. The outcomes of not getting it right at that level are probably not as serious as base jumping. It might be a cold, wet night because your tent is leaking or um, you've forgotten the um, matches or you haven't quite worked out where to camp properly and you can't light the fire, so you've got to eat cold food or something. Um, but that relationship comes with you and that it, it enhances your capacity to be human again. Mm. Does that answer your question? It, it, it does. And I, I just want to, to, to make sure that I've captured the essence of this because I think that this is a, something that's really, really powerful um, in terms of what you've said, is that first of all, extremist sports can be for everybody, but the key is we might not all want to do extreme sports. It's actually just about how do we be adventurous in the natural world? Because by doing that, you talked about attunement. We we become more attuned to what's going on, more able to understand what's happening. And this is actually a skill that we can develop. And it really seems that that notion of being adventurous and challenging ourselves in the natural world encourages us or encourages us to develop skills that can help us better interact within our environment. And if we can learn those skills in the natural world, we can translate them into the workplace. Yes, absolutely right. And, and some of those skills are directly related to appreciating or seeing or being able to tune to it to natural world type of information or information within our environment, but in our everyday context. And other aspects of those skills are, um, you know, the, 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 when you didn't um, work out quite where you were going to camp effectively or when you didn't double check your matches or whatever it is, those sort of things and things didn't go wrong. The, the realization in often when things don't go quite to plan because the seriousness of the outcome is not, they, those aspects come back with you as well. 
But what, what we want to get away from is the notion of the, 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 the natural world is some kind of aesthetically pleasant area. It's, it's not. It, there, are, there are wet times, there are snakes, there are bears, there are things out there that are quite scary if you're not used to it. Um, but at the same time, we have evolved in relation to the natural world. And rather like um, what we did to the tiger many years ago, we took it out of its natural environment, we put it in a cage with bars, and we thought, oh, look at that lovely stripy creature. And then we realized after a while that this tiger thing was pacing up and down, looking massively stressed. Um, then we thought, okay, well, maybe it's to do with their environment. We'll do something with it. And then we create this larger environment, which is a little bit more natural. And we do things like sticking food on top of a tree or something like that. So we give it some kind of way of interacting with this environment more effectively. We've realized that when we look at um, other beings that, that we interact with in different ways. But interestingly, what we're doing to ourselves right now is what we did to the tiger many years ago. We are putting ourselves in an unnatural um, environment. And then we're wondering why we're pacing up and down and getting stressed and we're not quite capable of doing the things that we're doing. And well-being levels have gone, um, you know, have dropped incredibly and all those sort of things that are going on at the moment. Well, the reason is, is because we have broken that natural connection that we have um, and, and our relationship with the environment, which is still there. But it has it has broken in the sense that that the relationship is not as functional as it could be. So adventure in the natural world allows us to revisit this relationship, to work back towards, and I use that deliberately, working back towards um, our potential as human beings, our potential as a life form, and what it means to be a human being. So some of the things that we currently label as as bad, you know, anxiety jealousy, whatever. Well, what if we relabeled them as just information that's coming along? What if we put ourselves into a context that says, well, actually, you know, the more I get this um, anxious kind of feeling, the more I realize that, in fact, that's just information that I need to do something about. And what does it mean? Well, I need to be more prepared. I need to make sure that the next time I go and do that, if I want to interact in this environment, I have to prepare differently. I have to prepare in different ways. Then we realize that, um, in fact, there are no good and bad in the, in the ways that, we've, that, that we feel, if you like, that are just things that are helpful or unhelpful, and that there are things that we can do about it. And interacting with the natural world in that adventurous way is one really good way of reconnecting um, us, you know, of realizing our potential as we should be as human beings, rather like a tiger in the cage, coming out of the cage and becoming a tiger again. Mm. And I think that's a really, really beautiful analogy of using the, 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 the tiger in the cage and recognizing all of that power and potential that's inherent within the animal and inherent within us and how we're really constraining it down and putting us into situations where we're we're not able to to have that adventure. We're so, it's, it's almost like in some ways we're so focused on trying to create safety that we've forgotten the need for adventure and what it actually gives us. You're absolutely spot on. And so some of the arguments that we're currently using about risk taking and, you know, kids being risk takers and this and that. So, you know, what if that was normal? What if, in fact, all those things we're currently labeling as dysfunctional, abnormal, not right? What if they were normal? And in fact, the safety seeking gene is the one that we should be examining. This notion that for some reason over the last very small, um, uh, you know, sort of um, in term, t in time wise, small period of time in terms of the human evolution, 
it, we have been sort of in an environment where safety has been the focus. And much of that is to do with the way society has gone, you know, the sort of insurance, the monetary, all that kind of concepts. And risk and risk-taking itself was developed out of that notion. So what if the current focus on uh, risk and risk-taking and the kind of people, that was the norm, and the abnormal was the safety-seeking aspect of things? That would be an interesting way of looking at it, wouldn't it? That definitely would. I mean, already my mind is going. So I want to, I, I want to kind of like bring this back down to, to the business level and recognise that you know in today's business world things are chaotic, uncertain. There's lots of risk. You know, business is not safe and secure in any way, shape, or form. So then, if we recognise that adventure in the natural world or through extreme support sports can actually help us develop skills that can handle risk better, we can bring this into the workplace so then what can leaders first of all learn from extreme supports that can extreme sports that can help them um, become effective leaders in business yeah and, and I think that um, is also a, a really really interesting question and I think that's something that um, we you know an area that we that we are developing and and how can we learn and best utilize this knowledge um, and and you know, you, you see within a lot of leadership and development type stuff, you know, some famous athlete will come in and, and tell them, tell everybody about what they've done and how they've done it and so forth. Now, the difference between a lot of sports um, type of environments and business is that sports often, the real focus of sports is a very short period of time. And the outcome is, well, okay, um, I, you got six, I got five. Well, in the end, who cares? It's a game. Uh, the only reason people take it seriously now is for some reason there's lots of money throwing about in it. But it isn't the same as a business. A business is a 10, 15, 20 year process. Um, it isn't a matter of preparing for four years for one particular outcome. And when you succeed, that's it. You can start on something else. If a business did that, it would be bankrupt in five years. Now, that's where extreme sports and businesses are more uh, similar because extreme athletes are not one-off performance types oriented. They're not competitively oriented activities in the sense, same way sports are. They're very, very similar to um, business environments. They're not constrained by manicured, um, in, you know, artificial kind of environments in the sense that, well, you only play a sport in this square thing. Businesses aren't like that. Um, and neither are extreme sports, but traditional sports are. Um, you know, traditional sports are, are bound by particular rules and uh, uh, that are sort of, you know, imposed upon it. Extreme sports aren't. They are creating them. It's evolving. There are no rules that says how you should or shouldn't do a base jump, how you should or shouldn't do a uh, proximity flight. So that creative possibilities, the capacity to, to enhance it into and uh, where people get together and it evolves and becomes something else, again, is very similar to businesses. So if you take that notion and, and where the similarity is, there's a few things that I think you can learn from extreme athletes. The first one we've already mentioned, and that is the importance of that in-depth, profound capacity to learn. Um, and, uh, and, and if you don't have it, develop knowledge about yourself, about the environment that you're in. Um, well, that's physical and social environment, by the way, in this instance, because we see environment as physical and social. And also, whereas I talked about the task in the extreme sport, in the business, we're also talking about the task, and that is the task of your business. What What is it that makes uh, a business successful? Some of that might be to do with financial skills, but some of it might be to do with the the, the skill of the business itself, whether it's a service or a, um, or some 
some other kind of business. So that's the first thing is the in-depth knowledge about those three things. They are essential for extreme sports and they are also essential for business. So the outcomes might be different, but if you want this kind of success and that's essential. The second one is preparation. Extreme sports athletes um, do an immense amount of preparation, but it's preparation in a manner that what, what I'd call as representative design in the sense that you have a very clear understanding of the environment you want to work in. And the preparation is in relation to performing, if you like, in that environment. So there'd be no point whatsoever, or you could still talk them, talk about them being extreme sports of a, of a potential base jumper preparing to, um, I don't know, to, uh, in the same way that a, uh, that a, that an extreme kayaker would prepare because they're different kind of environments. So, um, depending on your business, you need to under prepare and appropriate for that particular environment and what that business is. So, so, you know, if you're looking at a business that says, well, okay, there's a business over there, a sales business, and they think open planning has worked really, really well. So we should do that. But hang on a minute. We're an accountancy business or we're a business that needs to do something different. Maybe those things are not compatible. So preparing effectively. Um, with the knowledge of what it requires to do well in your type of business is really, really important. The third element is you need, um, you know, within a sport context, it's almost like, well, we've got one plan. Uh, In a short period of time, I can, I can, I can shelve my emotions. I don't have to really know a great deal about myself because I'm only have to do something for a couple of hours. But in business, you can't do that. In extreme sports, you can't do that. So you do need to plan. Um, you know, very, very effectively, but not just for one plan. You might need an A and a B. In extreme sports, it's essential to have an A and a B because, uh, or even a C and a D, because if A doesn't quite work out, the consequences of continuing down A are, um, you know, potentially terminal. In a business, it works quite well because it gives you the flexibility to, um, to work in relation to your environment rather than just saying, well, I'm going to continue doing this. And no matter what's going on around me. So the fourth one that you can that you can take from extreme sports is the capacity to listen and attune to information within the environment, and also you know so that you, so that relationship notion is continuing. So not just continuing without without reflecting effectively. So that capacity to listen is really really important. The last one, uh, sorry, the the fifth one I've got down here is is acting. Um, once you've got that everything prepared and you've controlled what you can do is to act, but also to let go. So not trying to control everything. Um, because in the end, you can't do that. And the last thing I think extreme sports athletes give, um, or, you know, something you can learn from that is the capacity to enjoy, but also reflect continually. So you learn from everything and you use that learning to, to get better. That is cool. I was taking notes as I was, I was, listening to you and i think the the fascinating thing this i am recording this but i like taking <laughs> notes because it actually helps me um process for my own benefit as well um and i geek out on stuff and i like making lists so hey um <laughs> as, as as listeners know i'm not just always listening um yeah, the, yeah. First, the first thing that kind of started there which really caught my interest is that what we're talking about the difference between normal sports and extreme sports is literally the difference between a sprint and a marathon you're going to train very very differently if you're only going to run 100 yards but if you know that you're going to do not even a marathon some of the ultra running is you know 100 miles and whatever if you're going to train for that 
completely different process. And what I loved is you were saying that there was six clear steps there. The first one is you have to learn. You have to learn about yourself. You have to learn about your business and you have to learn about the environment, both the physical and social aspects of it. Then you have to be able to prepare so that you can understand the environment to perform in it successfully, which is exactly the same as knowing your market that you're going into as you clearly identified. Then you have to get your plan, but you also have to be able to pivot when need be and come up with other plans. So having more than one plan for how you're going to actually achieve things, then you've got to listen and tune to the environment that you're in so that you can take the action, but let go so that it's from a place of attunement, not trying to control, and then you're able to enjoy it and continuously reflect, which almost brings it into a circular aspect because then you're back into the learning again and literally going through this whole cyclic, I can't say that word, circular process. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, The circular (laughs) process that is, is actually never ending but it's not even it's not even a a circle I suppose it's almost like a spiral because as you go through this process you're getting more and more knowledge that's helping you to achieve greater and greater levels of performance and achieve the potential that you want to achieve within your business basically yeah yeah and yes absolutely and you could call it a uh, you know a spiral you could call it whatever you want to do but but essentially what we what we need to also realize is, is there is no straight line it's not like you know, if I do A, then I'm going to get to B. And sometimes things work very quickly and sometimes they go backwards and sometimes they're slow. So the, the notion of how things go, but what, what you have to be able to is A, be comfortable with that. And the way you do that is to give yourself the time to be in tune with the environment, to reflect and all those sort of things. But B, not to get overly concerned when in fact there's a bit of a slump or things are going too far or whatever it might be. So, so, so learning in the capacity to develop and perform is not a, a, a sort of straight line at all. It's a bit of a wibbly wobbly thing that, um, uh, you know, that can take you in different directions. So that cyclical process could be a little bit wibbly wobbly as well. Um, like the rest of nature. I mean, when have you ever seen a nice, perfectly organized tree? It doesn't happen. Well, every tree is perfectly organized, but you know what I mean? It's, it's just not, there isn't such a thing as a tree, as a tree or well, every, every tree should look like this. It, it does its own thing. Um, but a tree is very well prepared. If you think about it, you know, if you look at it from metaphorically, if you like, the, the, the ground that a tr- the grounding that a really good solid, uh, you know, massive tree is, is there is very similar to, to the knowledge and preparation and all those sort of things that we're talking about. That's what allows a tree to get to realize its potential. If that's not properly there, the tree will be shrunk or something will happen to it and, or it'll eventually will fall out or it'll, Sometime or other things would go wrong. So that grounding is essential. But the tree itself, who knows what it's going to look like. Well, that's it. And I think that's a, a really interesting analogy, especially when you consider bonsai trees, which have been adapted to their environment, you know, and their miniature trees. But it's, it's, it's kind of really showing that... Um, the potential or our potential as human beings is really related to how well we can interact and engage with the environment around us, whether that be the natural world, the physical or the social one. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing that, that extreme sports teaches us is that um, because they're, you know, traditional sports, once again, because the, the environment is very constrained, because the rules and regulations are externally put onto it. You can say, well, you know what performance is like. Performance is, is, you know, well, if you've got three and I've got two, then you're a higher performer than me. 
that isn't there in extreme sports. There is nothing that says, well, that's good, that's not, because it's creative and it's developing. The environment itself, there's no constraints on the environment. Um, and this sort of, there are no rules and regulations that are put onto it, which is very similar to most businesses. And as you rightly say, it is a long time thing, but, but rather than it being, um, preparation, for a long-term event and then the event is over and then what do we do next? Or we might prepare and carry on or we might not. It isn't that at all. All that's got to happen along the same time. And if you want to survive in business, if you want to survive in extreme sports, then that's got to continually going. There isn't a time where you perform and a time where you don't. Yeah, I like that. And I think for me, because I, I, I was going to ask you how extreme supports in nature can translate to sustainable success in business, but I want to take a stab from what you're saying and see if I can put it into a format and then go from there. Because as, from what I'm really hearing you say, like because there are no rules, we know that we need a different way of doing business in order to make it sustainable, in order to to interact with the environment in a way that sustains life rather than destroys it. So recognizing that in extreme supports, there are no rules. You really have to be able to tap into that creativity and that innovation, and you've got to be always prepared for the unexpected. That's almost the foundation, would you say, for how extreme sports can really help us understand what it takes to create a sustainable business, or is there more to it than that? No, I think that's a that's that's definitely part of it, but there is a little bit more to it, and that is a a, a way of interacting with the world which comes from experience. It comes from you know a lot of extreme athletes. Um, you know, when for example, um, in big wave surfers, they spend a lot of their energy trying to find ways of giving back to the ocean because the in that relationship has given them so much. They spend their time, you know, some of the big wave surfers are doing charity work to clean up the ocean or whatever it might be. We have extreme skiers trying to tell the world or show the world what's happening to, um, you know, to ice flows, etc. So uh, that relationship develops over time and the extreme sport experience, when you get to that level, I mean, adventure without getting to extreme sports, if you like, even that relationship really, do, you know, do, helps people realize that we are part we are family. We are no different. The relationship isn't like, um, uh, uh, you know, isn't like a, um, two separate things coming together. When we touch the desk, I don't know whether you're sitting at a desk or not, but this touching of a desk is not two separate things. It's about, you know, it's, it's actually about one thing. So, um, the realization that we are at one and that comes from interacting with the natural world in that way. That alters the way we see that relationship. And I've spoken about it in terms of the, the actual activity is like a dance, um, in the sense that it's not man versus nature, uh, which is the old sort of traditional way is a dance with two equal partners. Um, and that dance, um, enhances each partner, the, 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 the environment and the individual evolves as a result. And we've done that a millennium in our, the natural world. There's no such thing as unspoiled or untouched human natural world. Or even, you know, the interaction between animals and the environment has both have evolved over time. But sometimes you need that depth of experience that allows you to recapture that or re-experience that. That therefore changes um, what you're able to see out there. It changes the way you see the world to an extent that you want to bring that into other aspects of your life. So in terms of sustainable leadership or sustainable businesses, a is about what you do 
which you mentioned earlier on, but it also is about who you are as an individual and what you see out there. So, so instead of just seeing money, 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 money is an aspect of what you do and what you see. It's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a part of that, but there's so much other, uh, things going on. So many, we call them affordances, if you like, for want of a better phrase. There's so much and so much other potential, so many other colors, so many other things going on that, that you can, your business and you as a business leader are able to um, act upon all these other things to the benefit of your business and the community that you're trying to benefit and all those other things that you're in business for. Some people might call it values, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't really matter. But the, the issue is things change. Yeah, and I, I and I think that's the, the 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 most important part here from from what you're saying, you know, because it it really is. It's it's not just the fact that there's no rules. It's this creativity and innovation that I talked about. What you're highlighting is there is this da- dance, and I, I loved how you put it. There is this dance between you and the environment where you become one, where there's this way of interacting into this relationship where you realise what you've been given. You know, you want to give back. And then you're coming from that place of, of connection fundamentally and letting that impact yourself, your business and the world itself. Yeah. We'll be right back after this short nature break. has focusing on the psychology of extreme sports and then the well-being benefits of time and nature impacted the way that you yourself live your daily life, Eric? Well, um, you know, like everybody else, I have the same sort of things that everybody else has, mortgages and and all those sort of things that everybody has to deal with. But what I, um, you know, where I work now, I, 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 I look for ways of walking in and walking out. It's very, very important for me with and, and my, my children, my family that we find time to relate effectively with the environment um, as often as we possibly can. The, the beauty of once you've, once you've got to that level that, um, that you feel part of the environment is, and we're finding that in research now, is that you don't, you know, it's not essential that you, that you, you desperately look for opportunities. It might be at times because certain things are going on, but it's the, it's the realization of the relationship that's important. And if you're lucky, you're in an environment where you can be and you can realize that relations in an experiential way every day and all day. Not all of us can do that. But by, um, but by, by seeing the world that way, you will find opportunities. And I do to find opportunities. And that could be where I choose to live. It could be how I choose to, um, you know, spend my time or how I choose to get into work. Or what I, in my case, of course, even what I choose to research, um, and how I, you know, how I, how I interact with, with others when I coach. So all those things, this learning, these experiences come into everything, um, that you do. It, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and, and, and just sort of, you know, be attached to a tree or anything like that. It means that it filters in everything, all the things that you do. Um, and, and, uh, you know, in all sorts of ways that, you probably haven't even realized, but just the way you see the world changes. And definitely uh, that's how I experience it. Mm. So who do you most admire and why then? Well, 
That was a really hard one. I, I saw that question <laughs> you know, and I thought, well... It's, 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 uh, if, if anybody that's listening regularly this will know, I, I just always go, I know, everybody has difficulty with this one, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have difficulty for lots of different reasons because I admire different people for different reasons. But in terms of who I most admire, I, you know what, I, I at this moment in time, I think it's, I can, I can honestly say that whilst it was difficult, it was also quite easy. I, it's my children. And the reason that it's my children is because, as yet, they they have not had that capacity to interact with the environment knocked out of them. As yet, they still interact in the adventurous, in a way, w- with the natural environment, in a way that um, that you know I I feel um, you know I I, I feel that. Um, uh, Quite proud of. I mean, I come from a uh, from a farming background, so it's quite easy for me to interact with the world because I, you know, I lived it. I was in there. Um, every day was part of it. But I'm not a farmer now. I live in an urban environment, and yet my children find ways. It, whether it's you know, all of a sudden they're spending time, and you think, what are they doing? And then they realise there's an ant down there, and they're watching it and just seeing how it's exploring. Whether it's um, quick, quick, stop the car. And you think, what's going on here? And they, they, they say, there's, there's, a, there's a lizard on the road. I've got to rescue it. Whether it's climbing, whatever it might be, that capacity to interact with the environment in the way that they do is absolutely is stunning. And as yet, it hasn't been knocked out of them. I hope it never does. But, you know, um, 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 and I'm encouraging and facilitating it, but you just never know. Mm. No, that that just brings up so many beautiful memories of, of, of fun times that I've had with with my nieces when they're younger. And I think it it, it, it always is interesting watching just the, the natural curiosity and adventure within children as they engage within the natural world and, and seeing, I mean, I, I know for a reflection, even studying the work that I do, it's 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 almost magical to see how much they how, how much they engage with the natural world and potentially how much you've lost as you've grown up. Mm. Well, it's because you know it's it's a it's something that is a, as a as a as a well you know it's a it's a social cultural concept that we as we get older we we we're not supposed to do that we're supposed to take a different perspective on life. It's supposed to be task focused, not relational focused. It's supposed to be about fitting in with society, and society at the moment is very materialistic, very much about that notion of things, and the relational side of things has gone. So whereas once upon a time, relational notions were much more important. Some societies are still still hanging on to little bits of that, but f- for most of us, that, that part of it has gone. And the most important relations are uh, relationships and are not just our immediate family, but also with the environment that we're in. So those things are educated out of us. Um, uh, over time, it, you know, if you, if you, I don't know where you live, but if there's a few trees outside your house going down the street, right now we're as a, as a, as a culture across most Anglo European and, and, and beyond that as well. And some of the other cultures that I've experienced and, and lived in. If you saw a family wandering down the street and the parent, um, was quite comfortable letting their child climb to the top of that tree that happens to be on on the street there. First of all, you'd be very quickly seeing the curtains flickering. And then before long, you'd have some council um, person coming down saying, you know what, I don't think you should be doing that, health and safety, etc. So as a culture, as a social cultural 
concept in a bigger picture. We are putting ourselves into that cage that we spoke about earlier on. So we are, it's not, we haven't got some, some tiger and stuffed it in a cage. We're doing it to ourselves in all sorts of subtle ways. Mm. Yeah. It just, it, it makes me smile. I remember, you know, cause it's, it's, it's bringing up a memory. My, my, my sister just said to me, I don't want to know what you do with, with my daughter. And I would take her off and I had her at three years old crossing <laughs> fallen trees across rivers. I'd already checked them to make sure that they were safe, but encouraging that sense of adventure within her. And, you know, she, she absolutely adores climbing trees now, but that, that, that was one thing that I, I wanted to make sure that I instilled in my niece tree climbing abilities. Um, Absolutely. So what is one of your most favourite memories of time and place in nature and why? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I've been, I mean, I've got so many of them. I was born on a farm, as I said, so I mean, I spend a lot of my time from, you know, but if, if, in this day and age, if you allowed somebody nine and ten to wander around the farm on their own, miles away from anybody else, um, people would lock you up or the social services would be knocking on your door for child abuse or something like that. So I've got loads of them when I was young, but I, I guess the one of the... I thought when I looked at this, I thought, well, with relevance to what we're talking about here, extreme sport, I think one of the most, um, the most sort of, uh, uh, relevant memories, profound relevant memories is a time I spent many, many years ago in Nepal where I, we were paddling some of the rivers, but not just the notion of paddling the rivers, which are, you know, which are quite interesting in themselves, but the whole few weeks allowed us to live at river time for want of a better phrase. Um, and the notion of alarm clocks, nine o'clock, whatever it might be, the notion of, you know, all these things just went and equivalent to that as we canoed down the, the Ganga river, um, a few years after that. And once again, we lived in relation to the environment we didn't have lights to switch on and all those sort of things so we had to live at in river time if you like and those experiences really moving back to that extent to be in relation to the natural world um are those that i thought were most relevant to this um that um uh you know that that that, that respond to that favorite memories question mm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of bizarre because the next question I like to ask is how have these nature experiences influenced and impacted the work that you do? But it almost, and I'm I'm going to take a stab at this. It almost sounds as if these these experiences that you've had in nature have kind of like underpinned all of your interests and how you've you've developed your whole career moving forward. Correct. Yeah, I mean absolutely, and that's you know one of the things that I think is you know trying to trying to understand. Um, you know, in many ways, trying to understand these experiences more effectively to make them, um, uh, you know, become, you know, to, to change the way that we think of these experiences and these relationships, so they're not out there, they're not different. That we, you know, they're all sort of become become the new norm, or I should say, the old norm that needs that we need to re 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 um, reconnect with is very much part of what I'm doing, um, and part of what I try and filter into everything. So. Getting a better understanding of that knowledge, for sake of example, can perhaps help us think about how we design urban spaces. Um, can, you know, so, so, so why do we keep pushing people into gyms? Um, and if we are going to push people into gyms because there really is no other opportunity for them because of where they live, how should we best design those things? Um, 
you know, workplaces, what's the best way of, you know, if, if it really is just about performance and all those sort of things, yes, there's social elements to it. But can we think carefully using all this knowledge, how we design the workplace, how we design all the systems and processes around our everyday life for so many of us that don't have the, um, the, the capacity to, to interact every day with the natural world. Um, so, so, so yes, I mean, it's, it's, it just comes with you really when you, you know, and, and, and trying to sort of, um, get beyond the, especially from an extreme sports perspective, get beyond the risk-taking personality, death wish, no fear kind of notion um, is, has, has kind of facilitated, guided the way my career has gone. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it, it is interesting because it's, it's kind of funny because it's, it's like when I had um, spent a lot of time just walking in nature and I was like, oh, I don't really know why people want to take risk-taking. I go through the woods and I have a wonderful experience. And then I realized that my definition of walking in the wood was probably very adventurous and risk-taking anyway, as I'm climbing up trees and climbing down. So, you know, that, that really changed my thought. And even having listened to you, I think the one thing that I'm going to take away is kayaking over a waterfall sounds really awesome. So I'm going to go and start exploring what I would need to do because I like kayaking anyway. And I'm like, hmm, I need a I need a new outdoor sport to consider. So that's that's what I'm taking away from from our chat today. But what do you want who are listening to this to take away? Some of it we've mentioned already, so I suppose it's an opportunity in some ways to summarize that. Um, the first thing is that adventure, uh, whether it's extreme or not, is open for everybody. There is no personality. There is no uh, typical person. There isn't anything like that. So that's the first thing. So if you choose not to, well, that's a choice. That's fine. But you really don't need to think as an individual, well, that's not for me. If there is something inside you that says, you know what, I'd like to give that a go, then then that's all that's required. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing to think of, to take away from this is that adventure should be part of every person's life um, on an everyday, ideally basis, but definitely on a regular basis. Now, for some, that might turn into interacting with their localized environment. And if they're heavily urbanized, that might turn into something like parkour or something along those lines, which is, you know, not, not quite the, the, where we're talking about, but is a, a very, you know, potentially a very, um, worthwhile thing, uh, worthwhile activity to undertake. Um, and the third thing is that the benefits you get from that are not just activity focused. They, um, the benefits that you get from that are not, they're about how you interact with your environment more generally. Um, they're about the knowledge, the profound knowledge that you get about yourself. Um, and the sort of things that, and, and, you know, the, the sort of things that you're capable of doing to a, a sort of journey, if you like, towards realizing your own potential, whatever that might be. And everybody has individual potential. Um, and, uh, I think the fourth thing um, for me is that as a as a society generally we need to be we need to think very carefully where we're going um, because uh, the the track we're taking at the moment is heading for a cliff and um, if we're not careful um, uh, we're going to hit that cliff without a parachute. So I'm sorry, that's more than one thing. But I, but, <laughs> no, 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 it's, 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 it's fine because I was listening because there were so, so, so many wonderful things there. And, and what came up is there was, there was, there was two things that 
that had me slightly chuckling because instead of an apple a day keeps the doctor away, I think we need to turn around and say an adventure a day keeps the doctor away. So Absolutely. What I would like to do is actually leave the listeners with a challenge because I know that I'm going to take this up as my own challenge as well. What can you do to make every day an adventure? Mm, I like that challenge. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're absolutely welcome. It's been a great chat and um, I'm, I, I apologize if I've spoken too much, but it's, I'm quite passionate about the air and I think um, it's, it's something that we, we should take more seriously. Um, I, I think that's absolutely fine. I was deliberately aware that if this was not a podcast interview, I would have started geeking out and gone, ooh, and I took a step back. So, 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 that, so um, it's, it's been a wonderful conversation and I know that um, there's just so many nuggets in this that people are going to, to, to enjoy and appreciate. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm, hopefully it'll be of, uh, of use and hopefully one person it'll, it'll, um, it'll start their journey. Next time on Sustainable, I'm exploring the past and future directions of Sustainable the Podcast and what I've learned from two years of doing the show. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org.